Hello and welcome to episode three of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. Joining me today is another fellow Silver Seven Sens writer. It's Ari. Ari, how's it going, man? I'm all right. How are you? Good, good. Uh, last few weeks have kind of been hectic. I've been working at a children's day camp, but uh, yeah, it's going good. Anyway, Ari, uh, I wanted to get you on the show since we both write for Silver Seven Sens, and I feel like you're well known within the Sens Twitter community basically as the guy who likes a lot of tweets and who does the uh, Silver Sevens Nuggets all, a lot. Uh, but he brings some insight to us, and even though it's the off-season, there are some things to discuss. So shall we get into it? For sure. I think the funnest part of this summer is, I think, for the first time in a while, there's a lot to talk about. We've almost had a, a constant stream of Sens news rather than just like there's a lot around the draft and then a lot around training camp. But Practically every week, there's been something newsworthy, so there's a lot for us to go through. Oh yeah, there definitely is. So the first big air quotation thing that happened since I last recorded was the Chris Kelly signing for nine hundred thousand and one year deal, and the reaction from fans has been almost completely positive. And would you agree with those people? Yeah, like I guess I I come in with this with a very weird bias in the sense that before he was traded uh, back during the pseudo rebuild, if you would say, with uh, Yarko Rutu, Alex Kovalev, rip rest in peace, Alex Kovalev, and uh, <laughs> um, Mike Fisher. I think Chris Kelly was probably my favorite senator. I was a fan from him back in Binghamton, back in the days when Binghamton was stacked in the first lockout, and. I'm still kind of conflicted with the move. I think it's all right. It's very easy to look at it from a risk management perspective and say like, hey, 900K, one-year deal, a veteran who's needed in the bottom six who can PK. Um, those are all lots of pauses, but I think there's a, there's a couple of question marks there with respect to the move, in my opinion. Yeah, I certainly think that the fact that there's that familiarity there, people know who this guy is. They know he's scored 20 goals in the league. Um, if this was just some random guy who had been from team to team around the league, I think there would be a lot less positivity for sure. But um, the fact that it is one year, it is only 900000 I think he definitely he'll be fine on the fourth line. His age worries me a bit. He's 36 right now. But yeah, like you said, it is only one-year deal. And I'm not going to complain about adding depth since I've complained about them not adding depth anyway. So um, it, it keeps a guy like Nick Paul down in the minors for a bit or whoever, you know, if they were going to put Curtis Lazar in the center, it keeps him on the wing or whatever they want, you know, add some depth. Um, but yeah, it's certainly not an amazing signing, but it's fine. Um, and I was thinking they kind of just need to sign Yaka Rutu to recreate that uh, Rutu Kelly Neal line. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's ridiculous when you think of the Senators who have kind of remained since the 2007 Cup run. Right. If we include if we include Kelly now, it's it's oh yeah, Chris Kelly and Chris Neal. Um, with with Phillips retiring, obviously, and Alfie, I guess you can still kind of ish count him, but um, that's about it, and that's kind of scary. Yeah, well, even even like just guys who are in the league, like I feel like there probably aren't even that many who are in the league. You got. Remember, uh, oh, what was that Russian guy? Was it Saprikin? Did they trade for him? Yeah, so sixth round pick or seventh round pick. For yeah, I remember Saprikin. I was like ecstatic with that move, and he had like three points in the playoffs or something. <laughs> but this um, was something. I'm, I'm I'm going back to like the Peter Bondra for Brooks like kind of move, and 
Now Brooks Like is in Toronto anchoring their fourth line, which is yeah. fun. <laughs> anchoring with that what's his cap at two and a half or something. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of depth, um, I wrote an article on Tuesday saying that they've sort of missed an opportunity to add cheap depth to their team, um, at least for this the the 2016-17 season. And now, now obviously, feel free to gris- disagree with me here, but don't you think Ottawa's depth at forward and defense isn't quite good enough yet? Oh, lost Ari for a second. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, Did my you catch bad. That? I did not catch anything you just said. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's let's keep going. I, I'm gonna keep this in just for just because it's fun. All right. So speaking of depth, um, I wrote an article on Tuesday saying that they've missed an opportunity to add some cheap depth uh, to their team, at least for the 2016-17 season. And obviously, feel free to dis- disagree with me here. But don't you think that Ottawa's depth at forward and defense isn't quite good enough? Yeah, like it's it it goes back to Kelly a little bit because management trumpeted the signing as a win now move. Dorian came out and said we really need a player of this caliber and character to come in and help us win now, not to win later. And to me, it's it's sort of another mixed message in the sense that a couple of years ago we let go of a very capable third line penalty killer like Eric Condra to give space to youth, which would have been Shane Prince, for example only to trade Shane Prince and then re-sign Kelly to win now. Um, so lots of flipping flop, lots of flippy floppiness, lots of back and forth. Um, all that tells me right now is that they didn't think Conjure could help them win now in hindsight, which is kind of silly. Um, and like, so in some of the articles too, I've heard comments from readers and especially on Twitter that players like Teddy Purcell who signed in LA or PA Parento who signed in New York, um, the Islanders, they they wouldn't sign in Ottawa because maybe Ottawa would have had to pay a lot more. But both of these players signed for under $2 million, and I would have been completely fine giving both of them a $2 million two-year deal or something like that. Like I think that would be a more win-now move, especially considering that the third line in the current modern-day NHL is a giant line in the sense of making or breaking a team's ability to compete against the upper echelon of the league. So us Sense fans know that very well when we compare the Condra Pajot Lazar line of a couple of years ago, which was super effective and we kind of rode that to last year's Lazar Pajot Chiasson or Mahalik Pajot Chiasson, which struggled a lot. And I think a lot of people put a lot of faith in Jean Gabriel Pajot, which I do as well. But the first half of the season was pretty rough due to his line mates. And it was only when he was re- reunited with the wonder that is Mark Stone that he began to flourish. And with Mark Stone potentially not on his line, in the upcoming season, we don't know yet what um, the new head coach is going to do. But with Mark Stone not there, is Pajot going to be able to carry Zach Smith? And who's going to play with him? I think that's that's a big limitation to the forward depth even. Yeah, I, I agree with you with every single thing you said there. And I never really thought about uh, the way you talked about Fanuf there, the fact that they, that was a win-now move. It's not like Fanuf is getting any younger. He's on the wrong side of 30. Um, people have been talking a lot about his decline. I think he'll be fine for another year, probably like a year to three years or something. But, you know, this isn't a guy who's going to develop into a better player. He's not a guy like Cody Cece. So it is kind of strange to see that. So they, they go for a win-now move there, and then they're just kind of stopping. They're just adding Kelly, and that's it. I mean... They haven't obviously 
it's July. We're recording this on July 14th, so there's still tons of offseason left. But, you know, there aren't as many um, free agents left out there anymore. And it doesn't seem like uh, – like, they. it seems like Dorian seems pretty set with the team. Um, and as you mentioned, too, the third line – when was the last time Ottawa really had an amazing bottom six? I mean, you go back to the 2007 finals. That was basically why they lost is because the Ducks had, were so deep. And they, that third line with, I can't even remember who, like Sammy Paulson. And, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew McDonald was, was it? There. Yeah, it was Mar- Marchand or whatever. I think he was on that line. Yeah, Tom Marchand. I don't, I don't know if he was actually on that line or not. Yeah, but yeah he, he was, was in the bottom he, six, though. Exactly, and yeah. He, you just look at that. Like They were so top-heavy with Healy, Spezza, and Alfredson. They relied on them so much. And it's and maybe it's not as extreme now, but you, you look at Ottawa's top players, Carlson, Hoffman, Stone, Turris, Zibanejad, they aren't really the problem. Like, Sure, you could maybe get a bit more upside from a guy like Turris or something as, as a first-line center, but really it's the depth that's been the problem for, honestly, I'll, I'll argue their, their depth has been a problem for about a decade now. Um, so, I mean, I could rant about their depth all day, and uh, obviously you you never know where free agents want to go. So maybe Teddy Purcell really didn't want to go, but... The fact that he was making over four million on his last contract, and now, even if you had to pay two million, like I'd totally do that. I'd totally give these guys one point five to even two point five million. You just got to shed off a guy like Mark Borvetsky, which is pretty easy to do. <laughs> yeah, the, the fun thing I guess about the NHL, especially this free agency period, is how I think there's still a lot of quality forwards left, and I think it's a lot easier to acquire a quality forward via trade or via free agency whereas the defense options I'm going to read you a couple options here there's Chris Russell who kind of struggled after he was traded to Dallas James Wisniewski was bought out Kyle Kyle Quincy Barrett Jackman Luke Shen our recently departed Eric Griba and Mike Weber who was actually traded from Buffalo to Washington to help with their run and didn't really feature that much in the playoffs so there's not that much there and I wouldn't say that now, given the current state of the free agency and the current state of our defense, that I would acquire one of those players to bolster our defense corps. But in at, at forward, for example, like your piece, I think did a really good job. There's still Geary Hoodler, Christopher Steig, Brandon Peary, um, Matt Cullen, Brad Boys, who's actually the same age as Chris Kelly, and I think has a little bit more offensive firepower. So there were, there are, and were still players left for for forward but I think on D it's a bit harder to address in the current league I think most teams expect to draft and develop a top four defense or trade for one by giving up something of of consequence such as like a, a Kyle Turris or a Mika Zibanejad or a Colin White level prospect to get one and I don't know if that's something I'd be surprised or slash interested to see what the fan base would think if Ottawa did a move like that yeah, it was quite the poor uh, free agent class for defensemen. Um, forwards, it's just flush of depth forwards, really. But yeah, you're right. For defensemen, I mean, really, the only guys I were looking at were um, David Schlemko and Zach Redman, who really are just kind of, you know, third-pairing defensemen. Schlemko is really underrated. He actually got a four-year contract, so that probably, uh, I doubt Ottawa was able to was ever going to be able to get him. But, yeah, you look at the defense, it's just not great. So 
maybe you can look at the FNUF trade and say, okay, well, you know, <laughs> there aren't that really many, there aren't that many good options out there. So at least we got somebody. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's kind of frustrating when you look at who, who the forwards that are out there that you can sign and they haven't really signed anyone besides Kelly. Mm-hmm. I know. I, uh, hundred percent concur with that. All right. So although many of the guys I wanted, I wanted were signed, like I was saying before, is there anyone out there you wanted to see the send sign? Like we kind of touched on a few and I definitely, I know I, I have my guys. Yeah, I guess, uh, it, it's a bit tricky. I don't know, given the crop that's left and especially like I'm, I generally like to, um, under promise and over deliver. And I think that's, that generally Dorian's kind of being the same way. He's under-promising. He's not really going to do much. And maybe he will sign somebody, but I don't necessarily think that there's going to be another forward signing, so I'm not going to get my hopes up. Um, and like I said on defense, I don't think there's another UFA that's added. I'd love to see maybe an experimental trade. And I'd even look at if this is the peak value for someone like Curtis Lazar, someone like a Colin White even, who's actually been injured the last two years a bit, although he's very well thought of and probably going to be the captain for the U.S. under-20 team. If he's going to fetch you a potential top-four defenseman who can help you right now on your third pair and eventually grow into a top-pair role, I would be very inclined to package up a top prospect and some middling depth that we have if that ends up grabbing something of consequence. I don't, I'm not necessarily attached to prospects. And I think with a lot of the research that's coming out now from um, not only the analytics community, but the scouting community and stuff too, that the success rates for prospects is actually quite low. And Ottawa's done a really good job, but I think it's, it's poor asset management if they're not looking at the fact that, well, there's, there's Logan Brown and Jonathan Dolan around, and maybe they're going to be around in one, two years can they afford to lose a Colin White? Or can they afford to lose a, a Kyle Turris or Zibanejad? And I guess the, the con of trading a Turris or Zibanejad now compared to a White is that if they'd like to win in the next three years that which Eric Carlson is signed, I don't know if they can afford to wait for White to even get to his Zibanejad level production. So maybe the best case is to trade someone like him now. Right, that's true. And, and I'm honestly pretty surprised that they haven't well, I mean, maybe they have tried. Maybe they have talked to other teams. I don't know that. But I don't expect them to make any big moves. But when Doran was hired, I sort of had this suspicion that, you know, maybe he was going to go off the board and do something that we never really expected and maybe actually get a legitimate second-pairing guy. And I would totally do uh, what you are suggesting earlier with, you know, maybe looking at trading Curtis Lazar. Um, Colin White, I'd be... Man, I just I'm falling in love with him and Shabbat as well. But you're right; like prospects don't always turn out. And if you're getting, if you're gonna get a proven guy, especially a defenseman, I would totally look at that. Um, if Lazar actually does have some value, like I would look at trading trading him. I don't really see him as anything more than a third liner at best. And hell, you even you even look at Cody Cece. Um, I really do wonder if he would have been on the table for someone like Taylor Hall because I mean probably not that's obviously unrealistic but I really am curious to see what 
like you know the the highest return he could possibly get because I feel like he's one of those guys that are really overrated uh is really overrated around the league despite the fact that he's getting crushed uh in his possession numbers for the first three seasons yeah I'm I'm firmly on the board of a one to two year max deal for Cody CC in the sense that I'm a big believer that if if Mark Stone his, his when he was re-signed he was a three-year deal and if the team didn't want to lock him up despite all of his career numbers and despite his excellent first couple seasons as a pro there's no need to lock up Cody CC for anything more than what Stone's getting at 3.5 I just I don't see despite defense being a, a harder position to trade for or to to sign or anything like that I don't think CC's shown anything um despite that he is he is 22 so the recently required um, Patrick Seeloff is also 22. Mark Borowiecki is actually 27, and I think <laughs> sometimes it's very hard to to look at the ages of players. I know I was was reading up earlier, and Matt O'Connor, who was recently uh, signed the last offseason, he's 24, and Chris Drieger, who's the current who was the starter last year for Binghamton, is 22. And people are talking about O'Connor as being better than Drieger, and I think age has a lot to do with it. I think. Um, it's another reason why that asset management and I think looking at depth charts and planning for five years ahead is Dorian says that he does, but it's hard to see rationale for that is something that's very key. A player like Matt Pumple and Ryan Dezingle, even though they're, they're new to us in the NHL landscape, they were drafted in 2011. So they've been in the organization for four to five years. That's a long time. Um, and I think that if you can package up a couple of those type of players, especially if they're highly regarded around the league, like a Cody Cece coming off a World Championships performance to get someone established, like a Kevin Shattenkirk type player, and you're willing to pay him, which is a different thing for Ottawa, but I think I'm all for that, especially if you want to win in the next three years while Eric Carlson is here. Right, well, I was going to get into Cece a bit later, but let's just keep going on this now. Um he definitely is a guy that you should be giving a bridge deal to. He, you know, his point totals have been pretty good. Uh, if you check out the hero charts by, uh, what's his name? I think Dominic Gallimini. Yeah. Um, he rates very well. Like he's rated as like a top pairing defenseman for point production, but his possession numbers are just like really bad. Um, over the last three years, he was 17th out of 20th on the team in shot attempts per 60 against. So, I mean, he just really hasn't... I mean, every night, basically, he's getting caved in, which it's hard to see with the naked eye, which is why I wouldn't trust, um, you know, the eye test every night because he obviously does have the tools, and I'm not going to give up on him. Like you said, he's only 22 years old. He has the skills. He has, you know, he can contribute to the power play um, in the in the long term. But you're right. I wouldn't really give him more than, I guess, like $3 million and like may- maybe one or two years. I'd Probably two is preferable. I mean, I've heard them that they're potentially thinking about four or five-year deal. I don't know if any anything I've heard is actually true, but I could certainly see them giving CeCe a five-year deal, and that would just be a bit of a mistake because – he really is unproven. He hasn't proven to be a top four defenseman, despite the media saying that Phaneuf and CeCe have stabilized the second pairing. It's not really true. 
Right, and and I think the narrative discussion you bring up is really interesting, and I think there's a couple of key questions with respect to Cody CC and why this year, the upcoming 2016-17 season, is is really key for him. Um, number one is that CC, if you look at the rest of the players in the organization at right defense, so McCoy Urkamps, who was signed out of Brandon, Cody Donahue, who is acquired in the FNIF trade, and then the drafted Kelly Summers, Christian Yaros, that that's it for right defense. And as we were talking about earlier, it's it's generally hard to trade for those players. So it's basically CC and Weidman are almost the top two in terms of potential for that kind of role. So he he firmly has a a spot in the organization. Um, however, I think that there's a difference in in measured performance and then trying to come to the right decision on where he's actually going to end up and. Though I think I've, I count myself as an analytics writer. I think I've been in the community for the last five-ish years and read most things. And CC, he has the point production and he has the tools, as you said. His skating is fantastic. He's rushing up the neutral zone. When I looked into the data, and I think the most interesting thing I found in the sense of trying to garner CC's weakness was from Ryan Stimson, who's in charge of the passing project. Um, he's a devil's... Devils fan who's in very much enjoying the Taylor Hall trade, he right. found that Cody CC um, is actually not that great at passing. So he's a skater, he's a puck rusher, he's a neutral zone player. He's got a solid shot. I think that matches up with what we see on a nightly basis. Um, but he can't he can't pass per se. And if that's his weakness, I think that's that's a fine thing, and that means he needs to be put with a complementary player that that could pass. And that's why. Maybe Patrick Rierkoch worked so well two seasons ago and for some reason fell off last year. But I'm trying to figure out the why. The why do his possession numbers not really add up? And is it because the players that he's playing with on Ottawa's second and third line aren't necessarily really good possession players either? Um, because Corsi as a team stat has a lot to do, and shot attempt, sorry, has a lot to do with who else you play with on the ice. Or is it is it that it, it was the wrong system? And I think that the system doesn't become an issue after this year because it would be now his his third coach. And we'll we'll really see and what I'll be looking for, especially in the first couple months, is where is CC at and is he developing further? Because if not, it may be time to cut losses while some in the league who don't watch Ottawa that much, especially in the West Coast, may still value him highly. You can maybe package up CC and Lazar and get something really good. Um, that's what I'll be looking for. Right, I think even if he does struggle this year, which is certainly possible, he isn't he, like he's still gonna have some value. He'll still be, you know, sort of Jared Cowan a la 2013-14, where you know he could still get a first round pick or something like that. Um, but you're right; it's if you ask someone to say what CC does poorly, I mean, it's it's hard to really know. Like unless you analyze tape every single game, I'm sure. The, the Senators video coaches and stuff are aware of what he's, you know, his limitations and all that. Um, but it is interesting that you mentioned that his passing isn't that great because I don't know if you saw um, Alex Novet's project. He was talking about um, dumping the puck in and possession and all that. And CeCe was actually listed as one of the best drivers in the game, which means like he, he a lot of the time he'll have the puck 
and he will carry it over the blue line and not dump it in. So he gets a lot of he gets the puck over the blue line a lot of the time successfully, but he also doesn't dump it in very often, which is a good sign. Like you don't really want to dump the puck in. So you'd think that'd lead to more possession, but it hasn't really. Obviously, it's more of a defensive zone thing than an offensive zone thing. But yeah, CC's kind of hard to crack down. Anyway, so I was moving on from CC, going to talk about Mike Hoffman. So yep. Hoffman filed for arbitration last week, um, and it may not really mean anything, but what do you think will ultimately end up happening with him? Yeah, so Hoffman's an interesting case. I I very much hope that he is re-signed for uh, the long-term deal that he deserves. I think he's been kind of surviving on a couple of one-year deals recently, and I think he's proven everything that he needed to prove. It's it's funny when you look at analysis and you think that you think so lower of players who maybe have a hard hot streak in the beginning but fade down the stretch. Right. Whereas players who do the opposite, players who maybe have a slow start but but do really well down the stretch, you think of them as clutch performers almost. Um, Hoffman has for the last two seasons been been the prior. He's faded down the stretch, been been really good um, at the start, and I think. That, that maybe muddles analysis. I think Hoffman is a really good player. I and mean, when you look at all of his measurable things, you look at his skill set, his shot, his speed, ability to man the points and um, the half boards on the power play. He is very much a top six forward and is Ottawa's best left winger by far. He should get re-signed. And I think that Dorian for sure knows that. Um, the one thing that Dave Cameron being fired kind of leads to is that it, it saves Mike Hoffman. We maybe sacrifice Shane Prince, but we saved Mike Hoffman. Um, and I hope that he's maybe locked up to a, a four or five year deal that will cement him on the first or second line for the foreseeable future. That would mean that players like Clark MacArthur, Zach Smith, and then Nick Paul, if he's on left wing and Francis Perron, they're left to fight for the last top six forward left wing spot and the third line forward left wing spot um, but I don't think that any of them have the nearly the offensive ceiling to replace a Mike Hoffman even though Perron's a really similar player um, the fact that Hoffman's done this in now three leagues even though he took a little bit to get there I think is a, is a good sign right I think the fact that Guy Boucher is now here that definitely makes me a lot more hopeful that he's going to be here a while because I mean, Boucher went out of his way, really, in his um, in his first interview with the team, saying that Hoff- that Hoffman's such an amazing player, and honestly, he is. He's I really believe he's one of the best left wingers in the league. He has such an amazing shot. Like, and the strange thing is, he scores so many of his goals from so far away. I think he had one of the farthest average distances on his goals. He scores just a lot of points. Oh, sorry, a lot of goals from the point, like on the power play and stuff, and. Um, for the last two years, um, or over the past two years, sorry, he's been seventh in goal scoring per 60 at a five-on-five rate. So, I mean, he's in company with guys like Evgeny Kuznetsov and Crosby and, um, you know, Tavares, all those guys. So it's not like he's unproven. This is a guy who's 27 years old. He's, you're right. You said it earlier. He's done it at all three levels. This is the guy... Compared to CeCe, this is the guy that you give the longer-term deal, like four four, five years, take him till he's 31 or two, 32, um, and then you give CeCe the, con- uh, the the bridge deal. But certainly, 
unacceptable if they go to arbitration again. If they give him a one-year deal, he's just going to walk probably in free agency, get more money next year. Um, they definitely need to lock him up. Yeah, it, it, it's game over if he if it goes to arbitration. Um, and I think you're right. I think ideally the team doesn't lock him up past 32, generally because a lot of the trend analysis would say that um, as you age, obviously your your production kind of decreases, except for really exceptional cases like the Jerome Ginla, Yarmir Yager, Daniel Alfredson type players, but Joe Thornton, etc. But it's generally, in, in in particular with Thornton and a player like Spezza, for example, passing is generally a quality that has been shown to age better. So a, a goal scorer like Hoffman, especially one who scores from for further away, may struggle a bit more as he ages, but. He thankfully has his speed and the motor to kind of go through the ice. He plays a very modern NHL-style game. He likes to carry the puck through the neutral zone. He likes to be deceptive. Um, he, I think, needs to be here. But the prices, I don't think you. we should be surprised if it ends up being a lot higher. I think people will look at Mark Stone and say, oh, like Mark Stone has 3.5. Hoffman shouldn't be that much higher. But the team was buying team-controlled years for Mark Stone. So... His price right. is going to go down. Um, offer sheets aren't that common in the league nowadays, whereas Hoffman, they're going to be buying a lot of UFA years. So right. if if this is around $5 million, if this is around $5.5 million, I think we're very, very happy with that contract. Yeah, I was just about to ask, do you think, like I, I can see a contract around $5 million cap hit, which honestly would be a steal because the centers seem to somehow get some uh, some cheap contracts for the guys who have always been with them. But yeah, do you see a deal with like $5 million AAV with like four or five years being possible? I, th- I think like I'd be very comfortable with that. And I think the good thing about Suns management is I think they, they do, they are given a bunch of criticism, but generally in terms of contracts, other than the albatrosses that were um, Colin Greening and Jared Cowan, when you compare them to the rest of the league and the types of contracts that they have, Ottawa is in a pretty good contract position if... Their internal budget is really their their cap, but um, Turris, MacArthur, Stones, Abanajad, Pajot, Carlson, Mathot, I think these are all pretty solid contracts. Um, I don't think there's anyone that's that's way over where they should be, and I think there's a lot who are under where they should be. So I think Dorian, um, especially because he's been doing contracts, I think, for the last couple of years, should have the experience and hopefully the expertise to land Hoffman at a solid AAV. Uh, And I hope, I think uh, five times five or something would work really well for me. I don't know if, I think Hoffman's probably shooting higher and Dorian shooting lower, but hopefully that's where the middle is. Right. I I think anything under six is such a steal. And if they were able to do that, they would probably be the team with the most team-friendly contracts. I mean, Eric Carlson making $6.5 million is just a joke compared to what other guys are making. And yeah, Turris at 3.5, Stone at 3.5. Um, the fact that Hoffman only got two out of arbitration is just ludicrous to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think a deal will get done, but safe to say if it does go to arbitration and a deal has to be made by the arbitrator, I think we can ride it. I yeah, I think it's it's game over if that happens. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about a bit more optimistic topic. Um, almost everyone is on board with Guy Boucher as a new coach. Do you think he can make a five to ten point difference on the team? And 
how specifically do you think he'll impact the team? Yes, yeah, so two interesting questions. I think the the gap you're looking at, the 10 points, we finished with 85, and Philadelphia, who the final wildcard team was, was 96. So there is a, a solid gap that he has to close. Generally, coaches, I think the research is saying, and it's a little bit different, but um, they can make an impact of maybe like 3 to 4% generally in possession numbers. Right. So Ottawa being around a, a 47, 48-ish team, um, but generally... Before that, this year, they were uh, around 50. I think we can reasonably expect Boucher, if he pushes the right buttons, Ottawa's a, a solid, a little bit above par possession team. Um, is that enough to make the playoffs? I think that Ottawa's a bubble team no matter what. Um, and that's only because the Metropolitan Division got a bit stronger we're kind of lucky in the sense that Boston's a bit middling. Um, Toronto's always kind of, they're still going to be down there. Montreal traded PK Subban. So <laughs> it's, it's really the, the Florida's that are an issue in per- perhaps Detroit, but it's, le- it's left to be seen to see is what the impact of Datsuk was. They just re-signed Luke Glendening to, I think was what a terrible contract. So Detroit's kind of all over the place. And I think them and Boston are going to be the main competition, but um, I I think this team is firmly a bubble team, and missing the playoffs I think will be. It's in the realm of possibility, um, but hopefully there's enough there that we're in a wild card spot, or perhaps optimistically the third Atlantic spot. Right. I I don't think he can make. I don't think he can turn this roster from mediocre to great. Maybe like a top ten team. They're always going to be sort of in that top I guess maybe say like top 12 to like 12 to 18 range sort of um and that'll certainly help and I'm glad they have Boucher and I think he'll make a real difference on the power play and I think he'll cater the team to the style of Carlson and Hoffman Hoff, trying to combine Hoffman and CC. sorry Hoffman and CC there trying to create um more of an offensive style game but yeah it's it's just hard seeing how I see them as a wild card team at best and we can get into this now I guess um talking about the division cuz I see two teams at the top and one team at the bottom so I I see Tampa and Florida at the top there Florida's done so many good moves recently getting uh Jason Demers and Keith Yandel and then Toronto basically as the eighth team but then in the middle there there's just five teams that honestly could go anywhere you mentioned montreal getting price back that's huge so you honestly have no idea what's happening there boston and detroit are kind of similar spots where they're aging teams with like aging cores but you can never really count them out um buffalo is an up-and-coming team who might actually surprise some people they only finished four points behind ottawa and then ottawa who's always in that four to six range in the division so where do you kind of see them in that range? Yeah, I, the good part, I think, is that if we're comparing ourselves to the, the five teams that are there, I like our roster at least. I, th- I think I'm pretty happy with our roster compared to Montreal, uh, Detroit, and Boston. Like I, I think there's a, there's a solid chance there, and I'm happy if I had to pick to be a fan of one of those three teams. I'm firmly in Ottawa's boat. Um, the key thing, again, in... Boucher talked about it only because 
that's that's been the problem for the last couple of years is the sh- the goals against and the shots against is Boucher is despite his one through one is an offensive coach and I think Ottawa wants to get back to the style of play that they played when Hammond uh, took them to the to the playoffs in the sense that there's a super aggressive four check um, really good special teams and a, a neutral zone an aggressive neutral zone team. Um, looking back at like Boucher's systems and some of the recent work that's come out, I think he's going to have to push this team to be really fast. And by fast, I don't mean skating fast, but in the sense of thinking fast, knowing where their positions mm-hmm. are, and I think having a really good structured system. He's been known as a details-oriented coach, and I don't know necessarily because I'm not in the room if Ottawa's lacked details per se. I think it's more of a talent issue, but... We'll, we'll get to see what this defense corpse will be like um, with a details-oriented coach, per se. I think I'm a big fan of what the forwards have to do on the back check. Uh, generally, Ottawa had, under both McLean and Cameron, the centers play low. So Zibanejad, and it probably limited Zibanejad a bit because his skating isn't really that great once to, to get him started. Um, he had to always come low to help support the defenders. And I think that that often left the slot wide open. It'll be interesting to see if Boucher plays a more zone system compared to man. Um, the man-to-man system was simpler, and that was the change that Cameron made, but it seemed to really not work, whereas I think McLean tried to get them to play zone, but they didn't have the talent to play it. So Boucher will have some work cut out for him to see what kind of system he comes up with, and I'm very interested to see. I think offensively this team is is going to be solid and which is what they have been for the last couple of years they always in the top 15 in goal scoring and I think I don't think they have the nine goal scorers that Dorian's trumpeting all the time but no <laughs> um I, I I think they have more than what Boston Detroit um, Montreal and Buffalo will have which is the main competition right now right well Ottawa's always had a problem with their defense and giving up too many shots slash too many goals but it will be interesting to see how Boucher implements his system, like how he um, affects the forwards, because the forwards are part of the problem as well. Like they got to help out in the defensive zone as well. So it will be nice to see if a guy like Zabanajad can improve on his defensive play. His possession metrics weren't great, um, but one player I'm, I am quite interested to see uh, how he works in the system is a guy like Ryan Zingle who is obviously a pretty fast player. Um, doesn't really have the same kind of offensive up, upside as another left winger like Mike Hoffman does, but I feel like you'd really benefit from that sort of fast play that you were mentioning earlier. And um, yeah, he could. He, they kind of need him to be a really, um, a really good bottom six player just because they don't really have the depth. Yeah, the fun thing is that they want Ryan Zingle to be like Shane Prince when they exactly when they traded Shane Prince in the seventh yep. for a third that they then trade to give up for Logan Brown. So it's 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 tough tough uh, tough job for Zingle. The, I feel I feel bad for the guy because he he did get I think nine points in thirty games last year, so pretty solid. But because of his contract situation, he did resign for a two way deal like Freddie Clayson, and I think that may mean that he'll start the season in Binghamton. He is um, waiver-exempt still, unlike a player like Matt Pumple, a fellow left-winger who beat out Shane Prince in terms of being a 2011 pick who survived on the roster, and I think 
he is waiver exempt. I'm um, sorry, he's waiver eligible, just like Prince was. So he may start the season with a line like Kelly and Neal. And I don't know if that may be as effective because although Pumple's pretty complete in the sense that haven't really noticed much deficiency, he isn't dynamic. He doesn't have one thing that stands out other than his shot. And unfortunately, he hasn't had the chance to utilize his shot that much in, at the NHL level. So this is a really a do-or-die season for Pumple. And Zingle is, I see him a little bit in the, in the waiting period or maybe as a 13th forward. Um, but I think that you're right. He may suit Boucher's system, especially the, the playing fast system a bit more. That's interesting. I actually didn't know that Pumple was... Wa- well, sorry. I knew Pumple was waiver eligible. I didn't know that Zingle uh, was not, though. So, yeah, the more I think about that, I guess that makes more sense that Pumple would make it just so they don't lose a guy for free um, or for nothing, sorry. But I really just... I'm pretty low on Pumple. Like, I, I liked the pick at the time. I just haven't really seen anything from him in the, in the NHL level. He was just kind of a passenger and his AHL numbers have been fine you you certainly you look at his numbers last year and they're pretty good but um I don't know if he can really thrive on a fourth line with Chris Kelly and Chris Neal um he's sort of that guy that is going to be boom or bust he's going to be a top six winger or he's not going to be whereas Zingle is I think he's more suited for that third and fourth line yeah, the fun thing, Pumple's, Pumple's a shooter, and I think he's very much, he's like Bobby Ryan in the sense that, less less dynamic than Bobby Ryan, obviously, but he needs some help to get get him the puck. Um, he's not necessarily like a carry in forward. He's the he's the forward that you want him to sneak into the, the soft spots and coverage and let a shot go quickly. He may have actually worked really well with Pajot and like a passing right winger, whether that's an Eric Conjo or a PA Parento or something like that, if that's the route that Ottawa went. Um, but the fact that Zach Smith is probably a, almost a permanent left winger, at least to start the year, it kind of takes Pumple away from an increased offensive spot that maybe he could have had. And I don't know if this is necessarily the position for him to succeed, which is a little bit sad. Right. And, and I'm sure we'll see plenty of wingers uh, in the 16-17 season there because you got... Zingle and Pumple, like we were talking about, and then Nick Paul, who will probably start the year in the minors. Um, I'm betting we'll see Francis Perron in the NHL next year at some point, probably later in the year, especially if they're out of it. Um, am I missing anyone? There must be a few others. Michael Blunden. I guess. Is there anyone else in the minors? I can't really think of anyone. Yeah, sorry, folks. Uh, Skype is being kind of annoying there. We've cut in a few times with Ari here. But anyway, let's. Um, so I was just talking about Pumple. And the fact that there's going to be a few guys besides him that are going to get the chance. Francis Perron will probably get a chance later in the year. Uh, Michael Blunden, Pierre Dorian talked about, he'll probably start the year in the NHL, probably as a 13th forward. Uh, Nick Paul as well, he'll start in the minors. So we'll definitely see our fair share of guys in the bottom six. Yeah, it'll, it's it's interesting to see uh, what will play there. And I think there's not there's only a couple of training camp battles, and I think that's, that's a healthy thing for the team. None of these moves, I think, are make it or break it. Um, but they're still interesting battles and very much organization determiners for players like Zingle, Pumple, Blunden, who was signed to a two-year deal, etc. Exactly. Um, let's move back to the divisional talk again. Um, the way I see it, I just I think if everything breaks right, they, they have a chance of finishing third. I really can't see any higher, but 
Honestly, if they do make the playoffs, I'll bet it's fourth. But I, I still am going to peg them as missing the playoffs as of now. If things can change, certainly. we got a couple months to the season. Um, but where do you – where? what's your early, early prediction for them right now? I'm going to be optimistic and have them in. Um, but I'm still getting to the point where I'm not satisfied with a getting in and potentially a first or, if we're lucky, second round exactly. exit. I, I'm, I'm done with that game. And – Again, I, I bring this up multiple times because this is our this is our deadline for the franchises. Eric Carlson has three more years, and if we go into his third year with Eric Carlson not re-signed, it's it's not going to look good. And he may very well, as a country music lover, go to Nashville and have a <laughs> Subban Carlson oh, pairing, which, which would be very fun. And I wouldn't I wouldn't blame him in the slightest because I think that Nashville probably has a way better chance of the Cup at Ottawa. But it makes me sad, and I think that. Um, that means that it's this year and next year is the window and probably next year as the Boucher has been here for a year players know what to expect the the depth is weeded out and next year's the year to go for it um, but it, it's getting a crunch time now uh, since 2010-2011 we've been middling and um, it's do or die for this this kind of crop of players and then we'll see what happens if if they don't succeed um, I hope Eric Carlson stays as center for life, and I think that they're going to have to prove a lot over the next two years to make sure that he's there. Hopefully it starts with a, a solid playoff appearance and maybe winning a round or something will appease some folks. It'll appease me a little bit, um, but it's, it, by next year it's, it's got to be close or else we may have to transition away from a star player. Yeah, exactly. Losing Carlson would just be... <sighs> I, I we'd lose a lot of Senators fans if we lost Carlson, but um I honestly think that if they miss or sorry if they make the playoffs but get out in the first round that could be more detrimental than missing it just because they may think like in years past that okay well we made it we don't need to change much but if they do miss it hopefully hopefully obviously things aren't too bad you don't want things to be terrible but like hopefully if they do miss that they realize they need to make some tweaks. Like, I honestly don't think they need to do a ton. They don't need a massive makeover. They don't need to change their core. But they do just need to make some external additions. They need to get a second-pairing defenseman because I really don't think CeCe's that guy yet. And he could be. He certainly could be. I'm not giving up on him. But just things like that, that, um, like, they're not a complete team yet. So I really hope they've learned from their past mistakes because – you're right. It really is make or break time right now. Yeah, the the saying, and I don't know where it comes from, but it's it's almost like you need you need seven top six forwards and five top four D because you know injuries are going to happen, and you exactly. know that you know that you're going to succeed when there's a when there's a really good player feasting on weaker competition on the the third pair or the third line, and I think that's what it takes to be a cup contender. There are some important pieces here, and I think it's okay to be optimistic and um. Uh, awaiting to see what will happen with Guy Boucher and Co. come October. Right. So obviously, off season isn't over yet. Like I've said a few times, um, what do you want to see them do, or what do you think they're going to do? I mean, you've sort of given your answer a bit earlier, but yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I think they're they're done. Um, I'm just going to. Luckily, there's really no senator other than Carlson playing in the World Cup of Hockey, so. Only got to worry about. Hopefully, that's a place for him to 
burn off some steam and get him coming into game shape really solidly. But uh, I think it's just training camp, implementing Boucher's system, seeing who's who wins the internal battles. Um, the only other external move I really see them making because they've already signed the folks that I think they would have signed for Binghamton is another assistant coach. Um, I actually hope it's not Marty Raymond. I think that they they can maybe get someone a little bit better, and I am a fan of hiring highly touted junior or college coaches or something to maybe be a, an assistant in, in mentorship, almost like Toronto did with Sheldon Keefe and as an assistant to, or a mentor, a mentee, sorry, for Mike Babcock. I, I like that that method. Um, and Klein endorsed, obviously, isn't he's just there for development purposes. So hiring a younger assistant, I think, will work well, but I don't see any more roster additions to this point. Right. It shouldn't be too exciting of a summer the rest of the way, although it'll be very interesting to see the day Hoffman signs his contract because, I mean, it could be the day that they go to arbitration or it could be tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the fan reaction there. Yeah, even if it's just for the poor folks behind the uh, Ottawa Sanders Twitter accounts and Instagram <laughs> accounts, to, every single time a move's made, everyone's like, where's Hoffman? Where's CC? Isn't that uh, Craig Magdalia? Yeah, good. Yeah. I I'd I'd be I'll be happy just for him the fact that when Hoffman signs oh exactly uh, then I'll be happy for myself so. yeah yeah I definitely won't be as excited for the season to start I mean I'll just have pretty low expectations but it'll be hockey nonetheless so I'll just be kind of waiting for the seventeen eighteen season I guess so if we can watch Colin White and Thomas Shabbat guys like that yeah no I I agree concur. All right, well, uh, that's all we've got for Sin's talk today. So uh, I'd like to thank Ari for coming on the Cosper Pointcast and, uh, and giving the listeners another voice and a new perspective. Uh, but first, where can people find you online, Ari? You can find me on uh, Silver 7 Sins, obviously. I post, try to post weekly. And then uh, you can also find me on Twitter at CartaCL, which is SkyMap, if, uh, if you try to translate the language, and I'll let the listeners guess the language. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on, man. And it's uh, it's great getting a second Silver 7 Sens writer as my guest. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk soon. Bye. Have a good one. All right, lastly, before I go here, if you like the podcast, please rate and review and on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud because every bit really helps get me, more some, get me some more exposure. Sorry, And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS and find my work at Silver 7 Sens. If you have any feedback about the podcast or suggestions for future shows, let me know. I'm all ears. Thanks for listening. Adios.